Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So many of us who come out of the closet often wander around our own little deserts, sometimes literally, and then suddenly a light bulb goes off and goes, oh, this is who I'm really truly meant to be. But then also in those moments, not only is coming out about our sexuality who we discover we're meant to be, a lot of other things start to stack up and show up. And it's like, well, maybe I'm supposed to go this direction in my career. And this is who I'm supposed to be in other areas of my life. And before you know it, you have not only come out about your sexuality, but you've also found pathways to beautiful other things in your life. And it's been a while since we've had this kind of a conversation. I feel like it's always great to revisit these things and talk to someone who struggled through their own coming out, trying to find themselves, um, even dealing with some anxiety and panic attacks, raise my hand here, team, because I've been through that, to finally realize being your true self and finding yourself is what opens so many other doors. And today I have an amazing guest. His name is Mark Anthony. He has been through that journey. He has his own web development company, as well as he is a spiritual life coach, as well as he does numerology readings. And all of that kind of came about through his own self-discoveries. So I love these stories. I love having these amazing type of guests. And Mark, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for taking time to be here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's dive right in and just really kind of explore, you know, this journey that you came about. And it's tough when we admit like the anxiety and panic stuff is kind of where you kept finding yourself. But um, that's kind of where you really started to unravel all this, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was really through my 30s. Um, it was when I was 29 is when the anxiety really kicked in. And then through the entire decade of my 30s, it just kept getting worse and worse and panic attacks. And then finally, when I was 40, I was like, I can't live this way anymore. And mm. that's when... I came out and and decided to to make a serious change in my life. That's interesting because that's actually really a similar time frame for me. Um, I had graduated college, got my first first careers under my belt, and everything was good through the late twenties. But then, when, as soon as I hit thirties, I'm just like something something's not working, something's not working, and um, had you know we had our first daughter, and the second one was kind of on the way, and. I kept just feeling this, like, this just isn't working for me. And as many people who've listened to the podcast know, that was when I started experimenting even more so with like, what is, you know, what does gay Rick look like? And, um, but it was also when, and now I recognize, it. I didn't recognize it then, but that was also when I probably should have known that I was having like true panic and anxiety and depression attacks which back in the nineties wasn't talked about, especially for men, you know, it was like, ah, no guys don't have that problem. But, um, as those things started to show up, were you like, 
oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this? Or did you even know that the panic and anxiety was a thing for you at that time? Yeah, I didn't know. Um, really, it was so on January. Let me back up right before that. So the, the Christmas of 2010, um, I was, this is when I was starting to feel very uncomfortable. I was like, something's not right. And I was like, mm -hmm. I need to make a change. And the only thing I knew to do at the time was I was like, I need to go to church. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I got to do something, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to this contemporary church, um, that's super popular here, um, in Atlanta. And so I went to a service and then on January 1st, 2011, I got in a really bad car accident. I was hit by a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. And um, from that point, it's like almost that was that was like the turning point was that car accident. Because yep. following that, I, I was okay. I, I came away okay from that. But all of a sudden, I started developing a lot of anxiety. And I didn't know I was going to see the doctor sometimes weekly. And every time I'd go, they would tell me nothing's wrong with you. Everything's okay. Every test came back negative. And I was like, well, something is going on and I don't know right. what this is. And it went on like that for years. Oh, uh, that's so frustrating. Yeah. And so because I you really know didn't something's know. happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really super, I mean, I've been through that not only on those fronts, but then just more recently, you know, I've had some other issues going on and I had a stroke and all this sort of stuff. And they're like, well, we can't figure out the source. And you know, I keep going in and all these other things. And it, it's very frustrating because we know what our bodies are saying to us. But when somebody else is like, you can't figure it out, like we don't see anything, that just adds to the anxiety and all of that. It's like it just continues to compound. So as you kept getting those answers, what did you start to feel like is the only you know pathway forward then? Um, so for the next basically 2000. 11, 12, 13 or so, uh -huh. um, the anxiety kept happening. I did keep going to that church um, and I ended up getting pretty involved in it. I was volunteering, I was joining small groups, all kinds of stuff. And um, things did get a bit better for me. But then my dad passed away in 2013. Um, I went to grad school that year. I left my teaching job and I went back to school. I was a graduate assistant. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I left to go there, that's when my dad passed away and my mom was having a tough time dealing with it. And so it was like, I felt like I got to this good point in my life. Then all of a sudden, all of this started happening and it just kind of started coming back again. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I ended up quitting grad school, moving back to Atlanta, kind of helping my mom just work through all of this and started teaching again. And I went back to that church. Um, and by 2015, I actually felt pretty good. And I was about ready to come out in 2015. And I did actually to a couple of people at church, but that did not go so well. And that totally shut me down. And then the anxiety got worse than ever over the next basically seven years or so until I actually came out to everybody. In those moments when somebody shuts you down, it just, it's almost like, you know, a stab to the heart, so to speak, and to your psyche. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, mean, I remember, I remember going through that in my um, early twenties when I first did come out of the closet. And I think having had that experience and then, you know, going back in the closet is 
is what made me stronger when I did come out at 36. But even at 36, there were moments. There were moments where I was like, okay, why, wait, everybody's, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people were down on me, obviously my ex-wife, number one, and then my parents, my parents couldn't really wrap their head around it. And they were like, we've been through this before, you know, just go to church and, you know, all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And by then I had gotten very burnt out by religion in general. I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I just can't do this. I can't, you know, and now I'm in a totally different place around that. I'm still don't go to church, but I have a definite relationship with God and faith and all that sort of stuff. So as this began to unravel though, there was a time where you spent some time and I kind of alluded to it <laughs> a little bit in the intro, like out there hiking around in, in the Red Rock area in Nevada. And, um, finally started having some epiphanies. So talk us through a little bit of that. Yeah. So um, at the end of 2020, after COVID had started, um, I'm a pretty adventurous kind of a person. I I don't like to sit still. Um, So by the end of that year, I was, I was like, I got to go do something. I can't sit here anymore, you know, after being home all that time. And so I applied to a job in Las Vegas. I ended up getting the job And so I moved out there in January of 2021 and um, not really with the intention to find myself. I was like, I just need an adventure. I need something different in my life. And so that's why I did it. And I just felt like it was the right thing to do. So I got out there about a week after starting my new job. I realized that every day to and from work, I passed by the entrance to Red Rock Canyon. Mm -hmm. And so after a week of doing this, I was like, well, I get out of work at 3.30 every day. I'm going to stop by Red Rock and go for a hike. So I did it one day. I was like, this is amazing. I stayed until the sunset and I watched the sunset sitting on the top of a mountain. So I did it again the next day and the next day. And I just kept doing it. And I ended up doing it every day for nearly a year. And it was the most enlightening experience I've ever had in my life. That's, you know, when you're by yourself, I didn't know anybody in Vegas. So I basically spent a year literally by myself, hiking and sitting on a mountain and watching the sunset every night. And when you're doing that, after a period of time, a lot of things go through your mind. Uh, Your priorities start to kind of change, you know, what's really important? What do you want for your life? And, um, and so... I I told myself, I was like, I can't turn 40 and not have come out. And my birthday is in August. And so my birthday came and I still didn't do it. And I was pretty upset with myself that day that I still didn't do it. So about a month later, I got another serious panic attack. And I hadn't really had them in quite a while um, after I started hiking quite a bit. And in the moment, I knew why I had it. I was like, I was on my bedroom floor. My body was shaking. I was in tears, screaming. And I was like, I have to call my mom. I have to call my mom and tell her that I'm gay. I can't do this anymore. I cannot live this way. So while I was in the panic attack, I called her and I said, mom, I I just have something to tell you. And I just told her, I said, I'm gay. And she was super accepting of it. And I'm so thankful for that. But her main question is, why'd you wait so long? You know? And so then right after I got off the phone with her, I called my sister and told her, and I just kept it between the three of us basically until March of the next year. And I just kept hiking. And then by the end of 2021, I was like, I feel the need to move to Florida, which is where my mom lives. So I did Mm -hmm. that. And I spent another year in Florida and my relationship 
was never better with my mom. We healed so much mm. stuff from my childhood and past, and um, it was an amazing experience. That's a really amazing insights to see that taking that time and everything. And this is one of the things that when I'm working with someone coming out of the closet, um, where if you don't take the time to like go be with yourself, I think it's much harder to come into your truth, whatever that truth may look like. Um, as someone who's never really lived alone, talking about myself, I realize the value now of the quiet time with myself and the quiet time to go be who I want to go be. And even though I have an amazing husband and relationship and everything, it's taken some time for me to step into it because I came right out of college, right into a marriage, came out of that when I came out and really worked hard. Like I got to have a guy, got to have a guy, got to have a guy because I was so insecure. And it was really that about two years in between all of that before I met my husband that I finally felt like I was giving up but actually surrendered to just be with yourself, just be with yourself. Of course I had my children because that was part of the equation. And I was great. I was so glad I had them because sometimes they were my only sanity space. Plus trying to get out there and date and find a guy and all this sort of stuff was just, it was craziness until I realized how beautiful it was. I actually was living in Laguna beach, California at the time, how beautiful it was to actually come home be right in my little beachside, you know, bungalow and it'd be quiet and be able to walk across Pacific coast highway to the beach and just be with myself. And I think that's why I continue to like, I always, wherever I live, I got to be close to the beach. It's got to be somewhere where I can get to the beach pretty quickly. Um, which is interesting because my husband, he loves the beach, but he's like, well, he's a mountain guy. He, he was born and raised in the mountains. So we have this like, kind of polar extremes, but we enjoy doing both. So I think it's a really good balance. But I would highly advocate, as you've shared, Mark, this time with self. You cannot replace that. There's just nothing that will take that away and make it more valuable than trusting to be with yourself. So as you were in that space, what's one thing you really learned about yourself that you feel, you know, feel like you could share with our audience about really coming into knowing yourself? Um, I would say the biggest thing that I learned is um, that's that's the moment I came to realize that a lot of the stories in my head were not real, mm -hmm. that I was making up a lot of scenarios um, yeah. that were not actually true. And um, and so that time by myself, I, I, I'm generally... Um, I generally spend a lot of time by myself anyways, mm -hmm. but that was, you know, pretty extreme what I did for that year. And, um, but I do know, I would definitely say that I don't believe that I would have come out if I did not have that experience to just not just go hiking by myself, but to actually physically not be near people that I know. Like, um, I needed that time to just, you know, and a lot of people would ask me, why did you move out there? You know, you don't know anybody. And I was like, I just needed to do that. I just felt like it was the right thing for me. And, um, I just needed to be away from literally everybody that I knew so I could quiet my mind and not be distracted. And, um, but it was in that time. That's the biggest thing I learned is that there's a, there was a lot of junk that I made up that was not actually true. That prevented me from coming out sooner. 
And that junk is so important to first recognize and own, right? And one of the things I've learned, and I think it sounds like you may have learned it too, is the more I own that junk and those stories, the more adept that I, I become at not creating more junk and more stories. I'm mm-hmm. st- I still create stories. There's no doubt. I mean, I'm, I was talking to a, a fellow coach on Friday and they're like, well, that sounds like a story you created. I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> okay. Caught in the act. Right. But um, it is a really interesting space of self-mastery that I, I think most of us through our coming out journeys it's probably one of the hardest things to fix is the stories we've created about being who we are as a LGBTQ person because it's painful. And because of the way society is laid, like, I mean, even in present day, you know, here we go again, it's all the rhetorics already starting towards our communities in so many different ways, whether it's about drag Queens or us being pedophile files or any of this stuff, you know, and all this sort of stuff and the don't say gays and all that sort of stuff. But what, how has this helped you now as you stepped into, like, you became a spiritual life coach, you running your own business? How did that help you, I guess, probably create some confidence to go do those things? Yeah. So um, one thing I wanted to bring up is how you mentioned that you don't really go to church and you kind of found your spirituality in a different way. And that's what happened with me when that uh, situation with the church happened in 2015. I gradually kind of stopped going uh, to church, and I that's when I started hiking and just finding other ways to to basically find God, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And and so that in that experience, um, I'd kind of been feeling that before I went to Vegas, but when I was in Vegas and hiking, that's when I really found that to be true that God can be found in many different ways. It doesn't have to be going to church, you know? And so my whole view on religion and spirituality began to change um, that year. And um, that's when I kind of followed the spiritual life coach. I felt called to do that, but I started following a lot of other spiritual teachers who are not necessarily religious. And one I wanted to bring up is, I don't know if you've heard of Byron Katie before, Um, but her big thing is asking yourself, is it true? you know, what you're thinking. That's kind of her big message that she preaches. And that's one thing when I was sitting on that mountain every night and that I would ask myself and she would come to my mind is, you know, when I'd have these stories come up and really ask myself, is that true? You know? And so, um, and then I would come to answer and no, it's not actually true, you know? And, but kind of following her and a lot of other spiritual teachers, it really started to awaken me to this new, uh, idea of what spirituality can be, what God can be, you know, what my part in is in all of that. And so, uh, like I said, I, I just felt called to to take that spiritual life coach certification. And then um, during all this, that's kind of when I really got into numerology. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know numerology just from, you know, maybe they see repeating numbers or something like that, but right. it can really help you discover a lot of things within you that you might not realize. And, um, and so I just kept following that and I would start, you know, some friends would ask me questions or family members, and I would kind of use it to help them work through things. And, um, and it seemed to work, they really resonated with it. So I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. So then I just started kind of learning it more and more and more. And so that's kind of where I 
am spiritually, I guess, today is, you know, I do every once in a while, I will go to church. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally against it. Um, right. I'll do it every now and again, but, you know, your spirituality is much bigger than a building. Mm-hmm. And and so that's the path that I have chosen to take. I'm so glad you brought up Byron Katie because I, I love her work. And I actually was very privileged. Um, it's probably been three years, four years ago now. Um, my daughter worked for a, a small, really cool startup company in Santa Cruz. And the owner's wife was a big Byron Katie fan. And so for her birthday one year, he brought Byron Katie to their office to work with their entire team. And um, each of the team members could invite one other person to come for the experience for the day. So it was a really cool, intimate. There was only about 50 of us in the room working with her. And um, I had done some of her work before, but I love the questions because, Mm -hmm. you know, for those of you who haven't explored it, I would highly recommend, even if all you do is go explore her four questions, it's such an eye-opening experience, you know, because the question is, is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And then who would you be without those thoughts? So I did run through that really quickly, folks. Go explore it. It's powerful work. Um, I use it a lot when I get stuck in my own head. I will drop back on that. But I love this too, that then all of these things started to see you move to something that you're like, well, this makes sense to me. And I know there's people out there go, oh, you know, numerology and all this stuff. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. I don't see it that way. I, I find growth and connection and sensibility to my inner self and to sense the stuff that's greater than me through lots of different avenues. And I think that's the beauty of when you start to embrace whatever spirituality is for you. I explored a lot of churches when I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I spent a lot of time in, in Buddhist practices, still do in different ways, and, but I don't define myself by any box. But I always find it interesting when I find something new that really helps me. Like one of the things I know in numerology is like 11, 11, 11. I always know what that means every mm-hmm. time I, that happens for me. And it's amazing, um, Mark, because <laughs> the only time I even notice 11, 11, 11 is when I'm having some of the toughest times. Yeah. And then it pops into my world. Right. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know that, I'm not going to give that one away. I'm going to make y'all go. I'm going to make y'all go work <laughs> for that one. But um, just but again, go do Google 11, you know, 11, like 11 a.m., 11 p.m., 11. And um, check it out. It's pretty interesting. So I do want to kind of say one quick thing about that, if you yeah, don't yeah. mind. Yeah. Is, um, you know, because I there's some other tools I use besides numerology as well. I don't know if you've heard of human design or the gene keys. They're just mm. other forms of this, you know, that kind of. Yep pull from astrology a bit, I guess you could say. And, you know, people ask all the time, is it real? Like these tools, are they real? Do they really work? And, you know, and I kind of think that's the wrong question to ask. You know, if you're using numerology or any of these other tools and it's helping you find a deeper purpose to yourself, if it's helping you to feel better about yourself and to live a better life, then it's real. You know, Mm -hmm. it's helping you. And so you don't need to look at it like, are these numbers real? Does that really have a meaning? Instead, look at it. Does it help you live a better life? If it does, then use it. There's nothing wrong with that. But Mark, don't you find, and I guess because we're both coaches, I find that the people who ask a question like that, they're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for something like they want that immediate gratification, right? 
And I literally just had a potential new client uh, last week doing the initial like, hey, let's chat about whether this is a fit or not. And they literally said, does this work? And I, I sometimes I have to bite my tongue. Yeah. I say, well, it works if you believe it will work. Right. I'm not a guru. I'm not, I'm not the wizard behind the curtain. But what I can tell you is I will help you see things you haven't seen. I will challenge you to think through stuff in a different way that maybe you haven't. Or I will remind you that you already know how to think through this and find the answers. But I'm not a master. I'm not a wizard. There just isn't. And so it's only going to work if you're, you know, we in my other world where I coach consistently professional speakers, constantly getting asked that question, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is this going to work? And I say, yes, if you do the work, you have to do the work. You have to be present to making those changes happen. And I've been there too. I remember when I first stepped into this whole world, I'm probably more adept at like, hey, let's just embrace new stuff. But even I was a skeptic to some degree. And then, you know, I had a couple of coaches that I would say, yeah, they weren't really like, it wasn't a good match. I think that's part of it too, is you got to have the right practical tools that the coach brings to the table. So everything from numerology and human design and gene keys, as you described, to, you know, finding the coach that really fits, you know, personality and perspective with you, because that's the other piece that's going to either make it work or not work. So when somebody really dives in with you in any of this work, and I'm asking this for a very particular reason, what is your goal? What is your goal in doing this kind of spiritual guidance work with someone? Um, my goal is to help people. Um find the most truest part of themselves is that I've learned in my own life. I grew up a lot of conditioning was put on me. Um, and I grew up around a lot around a lot of alcoholism and just things like that. And so I, when I was a kid, I basically shut down and, mm -hmm. um, and I, I remember that I didn't talk at all. Like my parents, they would, like ask me, is everything okay? And then they would talk to their, you know, their brothers or sisters. And, you know, they would wonder is something wrong with me because I just did not speak, but I was so afraid to speak because I didn't want to get in trouble because there was a lot of fighting in my life that took place that I saw. And I just didn't want anything bad to happen. And so I just didn't say anything. And this went on my entire childhood. And, um, and so that obviously lingered as I became an adult. And, yep. um, and so my whole process for me was just deconditioning myself away from all of this, that I can speak, I do have things to say, and I can help people. And, um, you know, I was a teacher for 16 years and I saw that in a lot of students, you know, how they really had passion about something, but then their parents would come in and say, no, you can't do that. You have to do this. I saw it a lot when seniors in high school are getting ready to go to college and they wanted to major in one thing. And their parents are like, no, you can't do that because you're not going to make money. You have to major in this. And I could just see it in their face, how upset they were. And they didn't, you know, they couldn't do anything about it. And so my whole goal is to help people just decondition from all of that stuff and to really find what they're truly passionate about, why they're here, why they're alive and, you know, what lights them up. I have found Similar to you, very, it sounds like we have some very similar backgrounds in childhood and everything. And even though I've worked on a lot of this stuff and I feel good about it and, you know, all this sort of stuff, 
there are still times I really have to find. So that being quiet and not saying anything, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. To the point of when I was just in the years prior to coming out. So in my, you know, 30, 30 to 36 year old years, one of the things that people said to me, well, one of the things was you never smile and you never seem happy. (laughs) And it was because I'm like, if I say anything, I'm going to be found out. You know, I was trying to live a double life and, you know, I could be really up when it was like certain situations. Like if I was quote unquote on stage, so to speak, or literally on stage, I could, I could turn it on, which is interesting because now I, I realize that I'm actually much more of an introvert than, than I project to a lot of people. A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you're like this huge extrovert. Well, to a degree, but there's that lingering piece of me from my childhood that still says, shut up be quiet. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't let people hear, see you. Right. And it's been a really tough thing to have happen. And there will be situations even currently where I will find myself backed into a corner with somebody. And it depends on the person. There's a lot of like, if the person represents my father, it's really hard to stand up and say anything. Right. If somebody else is like very much like the quote center of attention and that person that represents, you know, my good my good friends who I always idolized in high school, who seemed to be the best at sports and always had, you know, dating the right people, all that sort of stuff. If those kind of people show up, Oh, it's really hard for me to like have a voice, even though I love having a voice. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this freaking podcast. if I didn't enjoy doing this, Mm -hmm. but I see myself get backed into these corners and there's times I really have to like take a deep breath and go, come on, buddy, you can walk through this. You've been practicing this. Is that a common feeling that you encounter at times too? Like, oh my gosh. And then you push through. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally resonate with what you said about, you know, part of, I believe part of me not speaking for so many years is a bit of that fear of people will find out that I'm gay, Mm. you know? Yep. And it was even, um, so I live in Atlanta in midtown Atlanta um, there's a section of Midtown where it's it's a pretty popular kind of gay area. Yep. They have the the crosswalks are painted rainbows. Um, there's a lot of gay bars and restaurants, but it's right next to Piedmont Park, which is a really popular park for people to go to. It's where they and, have pride, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And so, but to get to Piedmont Park, a lot of times you have to go through that intersection. And before I was out, I used to be afraid to walk through that intersection because I would be like, well, if people see me walking through this intersection to go to the park, then they're going to know that I'm gay, you know, and it's, it's stupid stuff like that. I look back on now and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I used to think that, you know, and, but yeah, I mean, it's just such interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, so I, I have a tie to Piedmont park, um, because that's one of the first, that was, that was where I went to gay pride for the first time in my life. And I was still married. I was there with coworkers because I worked with a lot of coworkers who were gay and lesbian. And we happened to be in Atlanta for a conference and they're like, it's pride weekend. Let's go. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Even though I think most of them had already figured me out. And later that night, they definitely figured me out because they took me to a gay bar and I got pretty toasted and they pushed a bartender <laughs> on me and he ended up coming to my room in the middle of the night. I'm like, how did he even find me sort of thing? But anyway, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. Just recently, my husband and I 
on a spur of a moment, woke up on a Saturday and it's, it was during all these torrential rains we've been experiencing in California through the winter. And finally it was a clear weekend and we had met, we were going to San Francisco and then it was one of the weekends where it's like, no, San Francisco's flooding. We're not even going to attempt this. And it was a nice weekend. We're like, well, what would you like to do? I don't know. We need to get out of the house because we've been cooped up in the house and spur of the moment we saw we're going to San Francisco. And I remember getting up there and we were going to go through Golden Gate Park and then we went to another area. But I remember as a kid going to Golden Gate Park and because my dad's older brother was gay, all I heard about was, oh, old gay men hide out in the bushes and all this sort of stuff. And it was so interesting. And I've been in Golden Gate Park numerous times as an adult. But again, even that little trip driving through Golden Gate Park, I was like looking and going, Oh, this is like, this is where all that stuff happens. Right. And jokingly, my husband's like, Oh, look, aren't these? Oh, of course we're looking at the men, right? We're like, Oh, look, he's hot. He's hot. I'm like, yeah, they're probably headed into the bush. But even as I said that there was this visceral reaction, like, Ooh, you can say that with your husband, but don't say that out loud. Right. Right. And we got closer to where we were going to be in Golden Gate Park, a different area that I'd never really been to, which is along the Embarcadero looking at Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, okay, I feel a little calmer. Because it was almost like if we get out of the car walking together and even where we park to go walk down through there, I'm like, they're going to know. They're going to mm-hmm. know, <laughs> right? Um, so it's just, yes, those interesting things that show up for each and every one of us. So um, before we wrap up here, I want to make sure we get some opportunity for you to really talk about you know, the work you do, which you've kind of already talked about. But if somebody was like wanting to work with you, what's kind of the... And I hate to say this, but like, what's a really good fit for you? Somebody who's struggling with what? Um, that's a good question. And um, so I we were kind of chatting a little bit before uh, we hit record. Right. And how you had mentioned you kind of found your niche. Yep. Um, you know, helping gay men midlife, maybe they're married or so. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm still relatively new at being out. It's only, um, it was actually in a couple of days, it'll be one year since I came out to everybody. Congrats, man. Yeah. And so it's, it's still, it's still a new thing for me. And, um, but I do feel like eventually down the road, my purpose, you know, people have asked me, well, why did you come out wait so long, you know? And I'm like, I don't, I just did. I just feel I just like did. it's a part of, it's, it's a part of my story and what I did, but I feel like there's a purpose to this. And I agree a hundred percent. And I, I don't know what that listening is. listening to you, I, I think that's where you're at. I think that's a beautiful space to be. And so, I mean, I'm not going to get into a coaching session here, but yeah. I would say I would really listen to those things. And anybody who's listening, like when, even if you're not about building a coaching practice or where you are, listen to your intuition and let it know, let it really speak to you because there's something coming forward, whether it's changing jobs, leaving a marriage, finding where it's, you're going to do in your next thing. I have found, and this kind of ties into the spiritual stuff. My intuition never, never, never has steered me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's when I fight my intuition that everything goes off the rails. Now, as you were saying that Mark, one of the things that popped in my mind was, you could be really good at kind of similar to me, but you could be really good to coach people who are like, I'm really new to like this coming out. I'm just really mm-hmm. new. They've already come out, but there's a whole nother thing. And I deal with this too. So there's like the guys that come to me and gals, I've coached quite a few women as well, 
but the people who come to me like, okay, I'm, I know I, I'm ready. I'm trying to figure this out. Or like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if I'm gay. And, you know, that could be a starting point. But they want to navigate through that process. But then there's something on the whole other side, too. It's like, okay, now you're out. Now what? That's another part of my coaching. Because it's after the fact, then, well, where do I fit in the community and, and how do I want to do this at work? And how many, who do I want to be completely open with and who do I not? Nothing wrong with any of that. But it, just listening to you and the way you were thinking through that, I think that could be some really powerful space to you. And here's the beauty of it. It doesn't even have to be people who are just coming out of the closet in traditional senses. Anybody who's finally said, okay, well, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to go start a business or mm -hmm. I'm going to embrace that this relationship isn't working for me. Well, there's that new piece of after you've admitted to that and given what you went through with all the realizations that you came to after, you know, hiking around and everything, like it's what started to happen for you afterward. That could be really, really, truly powerful. And this is why I love talking to people like you and fellow coaches, because there's always something really interesting that sparks it. So I would invite anyone who's interested, um, if they want to connect with you, how would they connect with you, Mark? What's the best way? Um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's My name is Mark Anthology on Instagram. Um, so that would be the easiest way. Okay. Yeah. And I would hope that if anybody that's really spoke to you, and I think anybody who's searching, that would be, a, you know, searching, trying to find. There's so many people right now, especially given the, the lovely way the planet is spinning right now and the polarizations and everything. I think there's a lot of people searching to find their spiritual center because Absolutely. I think, you know, there's a lot of people not knocking religion. I'm never going to knock religion, but a lot of people are like traditional butts and seats in the pews is not working for me, but I want to stay connected to something greater than myself. Yep. And I think that's where people are struggling because gay or straight, when you leave that structured space, it's almost like, am I doing something wrong? Should I not be doing this? But as you and I have both kind of shared today, I think the beauty is, is what you find on that other side that shows you, you can still be connected. I feel very connected to God and a higher power and, and how I view that, but I don't have to have my butt in the seat. And I yep. think that's the big difference. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for giving of yourself. You brought us some great stuff. I mean, I hadn't talked about Byron Katie in years. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that was a good one. I'm like, I even wrote down, like, I need to, I need to remember in my coaching, like every once in a while with people who are really stuck, like, well, let's do these four questions, you know, but, um, Anyway, yeah. thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate you being here, man. Wishing you all the success you can gain by continuing to grow and do what you do. And I just, my gut feeling, my intuition says you're going to have a huge impact in the world. So thank you again for being part of Life Uncloseted, man. Truly appreciate you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, 
and stepping into living your life uncloseted.